tackled this subject once before with my friend Paxton Francis back in the day, but we have six movies uh, mostly on the theme of the dangers of artificial intelligence. Uh, friend or foe to be embraced, to be feared. Is it our salvation? Is it our doom? Man and machine. AI. Uh, I think it's an interesting discussion, but I just want to prepare you that there is spoilers for the six movies being discussed and frequent course language. And I also want to explain that uh, we had to do this podcast over uh, on the computer and uh, we were having real difficult audio issues. So she kind of sounds weird and far away and spacey and robotic. So it's fitting for the subject that we we're talking about. Um, I, I think it's totally listenable, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that the uh, audio portion is a little bit rocky compared to our usual standards. And please forgive me. Uh, Ashley is blameless here. This is probably all on me. We were running sound through my phone, so it, it, it's, it, there's a little bit of balance that can be done. But, uh, I think that the level of fascinating uh, conversation that we have will eclipse any kind of audio obstacles. So after that long and needlessly rambling introduction, I will let you get into the podcast with just that quick reminder to check out rankandreview.ca and to send any feedback you might have to your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons at rankinreview at gmail.com that's R-A-N-K-N R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com thank you for listening to Rankin Review
Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm clearly rusty. I guess it's been a while since I've done these high tech episode of Rank and Review. Ashley Puchkowski, or I can. Woo! That's right. Correct. I, I said that correctly. <laughs> I said yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> you are. I you always are one of the few people who says that correctly. I always doubt myself. It's funny that we're going to be talking about a lot of science fiction having to do with artificial intelligence and whether it's friend or foe. And uh, we got uh, you're, you're coming to us from Vancouver and you're sounding a little bit far away, like maybe you could be uh, circling the Earth in a satellite or something like that. I think we're going to make this work. It's going to still be a really good episode. But uh, now I'm a little bit paranoid because of all these movies that we watched. As I said just before we hit the record, like, how do I know that it's really Ashley? How do I know you're not some artificial intelligence posing as Ashley? How do I know you're not a robot? These you movies don't. have given me trust issues. <laughs> and these movies have taught us that having trust issues is probably in your best interest. I mean, they show both sides of the coin, but I didn't walk away thinking, yay, artificial intelligence. <laughs> Uh, so you chose the list. It's another sci science fiction leaning episode, but I do think that there's a lot of horror leaning stuff that we're going to talk about in these. And I think the ramifications of a lot of the, uh, or the implications of a lot of the science that we really are starting to step our toes somewhat seriously into, uh, is something that could have some real world play, you know, soon. So it's relevant mm -hmm. for once rank and review is relevant. <laughs> um, this is going to be the first podcast of 2019. How do you feel? Ooh, that's, that's very exciting. That's something to look forward to now. <laughs> so, uh, happy new year in the future. Happy new year, future. Hope happy new year, here. rank and review listeners. Um, so you chose this list, and I'm, I want to know why you chose this list. Was there a movie in there that you really loved, or was it just the the the, the group? So there, there were. I had seen half of this list. Um, I'd seen uh, AI and Ex Machina and uh, her previously, and I didn't remember AI very well because it'd been like I saw it when it came out right. ages ago, uh, and I wanted to see if how I remembered it lined up with. The way it was um i knew what i was getting with the other two and uh then Ro robot and frank was something that had been on my radar and i'd been meaning to get to um so we're we are very in my wheelhouse yes this episode yes there's not too much overly grotesque crinsley violence violence or anything like that so uh we're gonna talk some sci-fi and like you said it is your wheelhouse um my son is particularly into sci-fi. He has a particular flavor for time travel. That's his jam of choice. He loves him some Doctor Who. Um, I've, I, I showed him Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and he's watched it a few times now. Like he, he very rarely will voluntarily say, "Can I watch movie X?" But he likes Bill and Ted. <laughs> so um, there is something you know. I think that has great appeal about science fiction. Um, when you say this is directly your wheelhouse do you talk about just the sci-fi or the fact that this has to do with like artificial intelligence and robotics i think i think artificial intelligence and robotics are like one of my particular sub flavors of sci-fi that i'm drawn to um and like any anything that's about humans creating the thing that is gonna show what humanity is really like or causes downfall 
uh, probably goes back to Jurassic Park being the first movie I think of as my favorite. Uh, so so anything anything branching in that direction uh, has been you know, part of part of my development of taste. Um, I watched a lot of sci-fi in my teens. I read a lot of Philip K. Dick. This is this is home. <laughs> I find with speculative sci-fi, especially as interpreted through Hollywood or, or, or through the language of film, tends to fall on one side or the other by either it's complete grim doom and gloom, <laughs> or uh, it ends up being an Oshuck's hopeful view of the, the future. We tend to lean more towards the doom and gloom, but bo- both tend to be represented. Mm-hmm. Um, technology itself is a double-edged sword, but it's... A fine line to walk, and I guess a movie that would deal with the vagaries of that would be, you know, a tough thing to make into exciting sci-fi. I'd like to think that the truth falls somewhere in between, you know? I don't think we get the perfect symmetry with AI right out of the gate, and whatever that means. And once we have AI, is it is it an enslaved piece of artificial intelligence? Is it a friendly piece of artificial intelligence? Um, and... Uh, you know, maybe when we're pulling the plug on some of these early drafts, we're, quote, killing these things. Like, I don't know. The That's a lot of what I was thinking about rewatching these movies is like, where are our sympathies going to be asked to lie? Uh, some of the movies play that with that implicitly, especially like Ex Machina and Transcendence. But um, I think that people within them either inherently trust or inherently distrust technology. And, uh, yeah, the truth lies in the gray area between. Agreed. Um, is there anything you wanted to say by way of introduction before we get this party started? Um, sit down, get a comfy chair on the other side of your safety pane of glass, and let's roll. Let's do this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, is totally slipping. I apologize. I somehow managed to get through that whole introduction with Ashley without mentioning the six movies that we were going to review. So, really quickly, Ashley and I are about to talk about Transcendence, Ex Machina, Morgan, Robot and Frank, Her, and we'll wrap things up with Artificial Intelligence AI. Sorry. I call it transcendence. A series of attacks conducted by a radical anti-tech group known as Rift. They hit AI labs all over the country. We lost decades of research and development. It's radiation poisoning. The bullet must have been laced with it. The effect is irreversible. Will's body is dying, but his mind is a pattern of electrical signals. We can upload his consciousness. We can save him. Not like this. Assuming that this works, if we missed anything, a thought, a childhood memory, how will you know who you're dealing with? Well, my God. I can't feel anything. I'm here. Need to get me online. I need more power. It may be intelligent, it may even be sentient. This is not well. Shut it down. Shut it down. down? It's him. Your friends crossed the line. They don't know the danger. This is astounding. So how do we fight it? You can't. 
An AI is like any intelligence. It has needs. The real will die. It will start to evolve. Where's the machine? To influence. Perhaps the entire world. All right. Uh, let's talk about transcendence. Which of the movie, not the concept, because we only have so much time. <laughs> it's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, this was a, I mean, it's got some stink on it because it really underperformed at the, bod, at, the, at the box office and was lukewarm received from the critics. And this came from Wally Pfister, P-F-I-S-T-E-R. He's mainly known for shooting a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies. Oh, okay. And Christopher Nolan makes a lot of pretty movies, so people were kind of excited to see what it happens when he got in the driver's seat. Um, the plot has to do with a scientist played by Johnny Depp and his uh, wife and sort of collaborator, Rebecca Hall, um, who are pushing some fringe science when it comes to things like thinking computers, god machines. And there's a lot of people that are scared by it, so much so that uh, after one of his lectures... And it, uh, a successful assassination attempt is made on him. He is shot and poisoned, and uh, before he actually expires, he tries attempts to upload himself and sort of get this ball rolling. The, uh, <laughs> the terrorists basically instigated the, the first real leap in AI, as it seems that Will has uploaded into the computer. But has he? Is he still Will? Can he be trusted? And how much power can he, should he be allowed to wield, even though the benefits can be really great? There's a lot of really deep science fiction stuff, in, and like a lot of meat to chew, and an amazing cast. I love Rebecca mm -hmm. Hall, and I love Paul Bettany. <laughs> and um, it never. I know how I feel about Killian Murphy. I, I, I know how you feel about Killian Murphy, and I, I share your feelings about Killian Murphy. But I also feel like it didn't necessarily need to be Killian Murphy in that part. It really like, didn't. That character didn't have a lot to do. It really seemed like a tertiary role. But hey, it's always nice to see him, and it's he's sort of Nolan's lucky charm. So maybe maybe Feister just brought him along for that for that reason. I will start by saying I don't hate the movie as much as a lot of people do. I don't necessarily think it deserved to be this huge, you know, disappointing travesty bomb that it that it was. But I will say, as I've said before despite this being uh, made by a, an amazing cinematographer and being, you know, a, a visually strong movie, it feels more like a conversation about a science fiction movie than a science mm -hmm. fiction movie. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like, all of the characters talk about the science fiction, but it never really... Well, it does a few times ignite into science fiction, but most of it is just the cast kind of talking about it. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, but that's certainly not what I was expecting when I sat down. So uh, let's hear, what, what, what does Ashley think about Transcendence? So, Transcendence, I'm so upset at this movie for not <laughs> being better than it is. Um, it has everything going for it. The production is beautiful. Everyone on that set clearly knew what they were doing. The actors are, like, top-notch some things about Johnny Depp's performance bother me but that's a directing issue and it should have been good it should be really good this should be a movie that like comes to mind when you talk about like AI sci-fi yeah but it's not 
I yes, mean, it, this sounds more like the discussion for our introduction, but not one of the movies that we're talking about here don't have a completely fascinating, like, subject, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, the right away out the gate, it should be at the very least interesting. And I think it achieves that just on its subject matter. Um, but I'm trying to sort of maybe solve for myself, if not for you. I don't want to... I can't, I can't interpret your thoughts on it, but, like... Did it fail because I just feel like it should have been better, considering the size and scope of it, or did it fail because it just fails? <laughs> you know? I, I think it. I think it failed because it just failed. Um, I think there are script level problems with this movie. Uh, the like you were saying, the sci-fi doesn't happen, but it's very much. Uh, constructed as though the sci-fi were happening um there's i didn't feel any chemistry between the characters specifically uh between um johnny depp and the uh Ray Rachel? rebecca rebecca hall rebecca hall um and for for the stakes on that side of the plot to to work, you have to believe that they like really love each other and really care about each other and really work well as a partnership. And he's kind of robotic before he becomes a machine. So I don't see that. Yeah. I think, and this is not a surprise to anybody who listens to the podcast, I might have leaned more on the suspense angle than the ah shucks wonder angle. I think that right away she's highly suspicious, but she wants it to be true so much that she almost forces herself to go along with things. And in that way we have the classic sci-fi folly of having highly intelligent characters doing highly unintelligent things throughout the movie, which becomes frustrating. Mm -hmm. I think also secretly the movie kind of belongs as much to Paul Bettany as it does... <laughs> And I think the movie should belong more to Paul Bettany. Right. I think if we spent more time with Paul Bettany and like had glimpses of the the crazy things his friend is doing, it would be more suspenseful, and then I could buy it in, into it more from the suspense side. And again, maybe he knew some more shade about Will than, than she did. Maybe he had more reason to suspect a sinister thing once he was uploaded. You know, there are cards to play there. I also mm -hmm. felt like there was an entire portion of the movie that must have been a deleted scene. He gets captured by these terrorists during the big transitional scenes in the movie. And he's held captive for, I'm not even sure how long, but it must be months the movie jumps ahead it's it starts jumping ahead in time quite rapidly towards the second act um but he goes from hating these people and understandably you know thinking they're awful to being 100 percent on board and we should have seen that happen yeah. and we did not yeah. kate mara who's the most focused on of the terrorists we're going to talk about her again in morgan uh I think sh her area of this movie is by far the most frustrating and weak part of the movie. Like, we're supposed to side with this ultra-violent militant group. They completely go to the like most awful option right away on paranoia of what might happen. This is the worst kind of terrorist extremists. And we're never and asked to question. they don't understand that by doing that, they caused the thing that they were most afraid of. Yeah, like, they're the people who let the infected monkeys out in 28 days later here. And the movie never lets them acknowledge that. And that's mm -hmm. frustrating. I end up really hating a character that we're supposed to like, <laughs> I think, in that way. 
play. I think we're supposed to really think that that that's a tough cookie, that Kate Mara. And I was just like, man, oh. man, I, uh, I. <laughs> the, the only impression she made on me was, man, for somebody like on the lamb, you spend a lot of time keeping up that hairdo. Yeah. Well, and it is a movie populated by pretty people, and I've talked about this before, too, if that's, like, something that hurts credibility. Uh, I, I know that there are a lot of incredibly intelligent scientists who are, like, absolutely attractive people, too, but <laughs> in Hollywood, they're always, like, supermodels. They're always, like, you know, <laughs> after I prove this theorem, I'm going to go, you know, walk the runway, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's okay if there's one or two of them. I understand you need your, your leading man and having eye candy in a movie or, or whatever. But when you populate the movie entirely with, with Killian Murphy's, right? Uh, <laughs> can you imagine a movie that was... Killian Murphy role. My God. You know, you know, I mean, this is a complete aside, but Killian Murphy should remake that uh, Michael Keaton comedy, uh, Multiplicity. That way we could have like multiple Killians <laughs> all in. <laughs> See, but this is where my mind wanders while I'm watching Transcendence, right? And it shouldn't. It it's shouldn't. It's doing so much. You should like be needing to pay attention to keep up with everything and not want to miss it. But no, we're off imagining like, recasts of other movies. My mind wanders. Uh, and I also, it, it's heartbreaking because... I, th I like the ambition of the movie too like uh it it really goes it gets quite big towards the third act and it starts fairly modestly yeah. but but like will is actively gonna you know find a way to cure the world but everything he does looks super sinister <laughs> like he couldn't go about it in a more frightening way <laughs> right mm -hmm. we have people basically acting like zombies and him using them as like megaphones to speak out to people because he's used this technology on them. It's all, almost like he can, can he can possess anybody in the world after a certain point with this technology. Yeah. And that's terrifying to us. It's like a whole new evolutionary step has been kicked into gear. And what do we do? We're so terrified by it. We're willing to pull stamp the... Stamp it out. We stamp it out. We pull the plug on everything. They EMP it. And we are driven back to the Stone Age. Which, again, terrifying. Billions of people would die. <laughs> like, <laughs> but also entirely not how that would work. Yeah. One of, it was like one of my complaints. Like, no, because once, once you shut that thing down, like even if, even if it blitzed out everything, there are still the people around who know how to remake it, yeah. and we just would. They didn't kill electricity, okay? <laughs> it's not the day the Earth stood still. It's not like... It, 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 it. And again, the movie started off in a smart place, and it kind of got to just increasingly ludicrous place. I was with it, and again, I certainly sound unchared. I hear myself now, and it doesn't sound like I was, I was into that movie. Like, it's an interesting movie. It's a well-acted movie. Uh, my mind did wander at times, but it was interesting enough. But it just, it's haunted by the better movie it could and should have been. And yep. uh, maybe that's unfair, but <laughs> that's how I feel. But that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, we watch too many movies to forgive them for not being the movie they should have been. 
and again, if you this is this is not a low budget picture, you know, <laughs> this is yeah. not a two million dollar movie. This, yeah, they no, spent some money yeah, on no, this. You were filming this on the weekends because that's when you had time away from your day job. Yeah, it, it's not like gets a little bit of leeway. They're not making this up as they go along. And again, I bet you. I mean, I'm not sure if it's based off a novel or something like that. I bet you I could read the novel and find it fascinating instead mm -hmm. out of it. And again, I don't know. The the cast is amazing. And like, could you do better than? Morgan Freeman like I don't I don't know I don't know if this thing was just doomed at script form I don't think that I would throw my hands up and say that the director is a complete write-off like I don't think it's badly shot I think it's it did I I didn't involve as emotionally as clearly he wanted me to but I I mean the filmmaking the technical filmmaking was strong the performances yeah. were strong and I just sort of sat there yeah uh, it, it's it's a it's a script problem and maybe there are some things that could have been done in editing but probably probably it's about as good as they could make it i also think if there was somebody who was really into the movie like someone who's like really chewing on the sci-fi angle when it did get to that third act and people started acting like zombies and explosions started to happen like that that we completely let the air out of the balloon for them <laughs> so, yeah if you wanted to be a strictly sort of philosophical intellectual piece, you can do that. You're probably a fool to spend two hundred million dollars doing that, but do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. In the end, it's not as bad as everybody says, but it ain't great. <laughs> Good enough. We'll 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 be able to point you very shortly toward better movies exploring <laughs> the same themes. <laughs> Good deal. We're so mean. next few days, you're going to be the human component in the Turing test. One day the AIs are going to look back on us the same way we look at fossils. Hello. How do you feel about her? Oh man, she's amazing. You're impressed? <laughs> yes. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Now the question is, how does she feel about you? Do you think about me when we are together? Did you give her sexuality as a diversion tactic? This is your insecurity talking. This is not your intellect. Fine. Did you know that I was brought here to test you? <laughs> does Ava actually like you? Or is she pretending to like you? Nathan, isn't your friend I'm wrong? I'm wrong about what? Everything. Do you want to be with me? Can we talk about the lies you've been spinning me? What lies? What lies? You have to help me. You have to help me. What will happen to me if I fail your test? So once upon a time, this guy named Alex Garland caught my attention. He was a collaborator with Danny Boyle who I think is one of the greatest living directors that we have right now. Um, he wrote a little movie called 28 Days Later. Ah. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> he wrote another little movie called Sunshine, although, I mean, I'm going to talk about it soon on the podcast, actually, but uh, uh, there's a lot great in Sunshine. Mm -hmm. um, uh, unfortunately, his partnership with Danny Boyle seems to have ended. Not, I don't know if they're not buds or anything, but he's decided he wants to make his own damn movies. 
And as far as debut movies go, <laughs> if you're going to walk out, if you're going to just say, hey, everybody, ex machina, like, uh, yeah, I mean, right out of the gate. I remember walking out of this movie saying, whatever Mr. Garland does next, whatever it is, no matter how, you know, flawed in premise, no matter how strange in casting, I will watch that fucking movie. <laughs> um, so tipping my hand early. Yeah, I, I, I think this is one of the best science fiction movies of recent memory. Uh, I, I know like I can, I can be a little bit hyperbolic, um, but it's everything that Transcendence wasn't. We just talked about Transcendence. And, uh, yes, uh, a sort of office drone wins this competition to participate in the Turing test, which is a... Uh, a test in which a person asks a series of questions to a, a computer or a robot or, or a simulation or whatever and can be fooled into thinking that it's not a computer or a robot or a simulation. If the robot tricks the person into thinking that it's got its own consciousness, then basically they've passed the test. He doesn't know that this is what he's been... This is the prize that he's won. But he is whisked away to this eccentric billionaire who claims to have cracked the code on AI and he wants to have this test administered and uh, if it's true, proven true here, uh, they have broken brand new barriers into the world of science. Which brings us to Ava. Uh, Alicia Vikander, the Tomb Raider who wasn't, unfortunately. <laughs> um, She'll probably recover. A uh, strange and strangely beautiful creation who he is uh, going to talk to and, yeah, try to come convinced of her own self-awareness, reality, however you want to put it, her consciousness, her person. And uh, it's a strange place for her to be, too, because she's basically lived an entire life uh, in this little box. And uh, this is one of the few people in the world she has met. So between the, the eccentric billionaire Oscar Isaac acting like a drunken asshole the whole time and you're really kind of wondering, like, why is he not taking the most profound discovery of, you know, science, period, at all serious, and uh, Don Hell Gleason's character being understandably, like, mind-blown by the situation he finds himself in, and this robot who we're not sure if we can side with or trust or if she's a program or a consciousness. Mm -hmm. And the three of them have a series of conversations. That's and Ex Machina. Fascinating. <laughs> That's the movie, basically. So I should chewed your ear off. Uh, Ashley, what, what do you think of Ex Machina? I, I think Ex Machina is beautiful. Um, it, it really shows how you can focus uh, story down to like it's it's barest um, and and by focusing by focusing your narrative down to like the barest essentials of what you need to happen you can explore a character and you can explore your themes uh, and you can take really take your time and let us like chew along and wonder at every moment like where thing where you're taking taking us uh, and still have something that's really satisfying on the rewatch. Yeah. It's interesting to me that the movie kind of has a horror movie set up. He's set up to like a, a, a very secluded mansion 
to meet an eccentric scientist and is shown his creation, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it has kind of a classic horror movie setup, which I kind of appreciate. Uh, but the movie's built on mysteries and revelations. And uh, as I find true with, with movies that I do really respect, the timing of the information seems really close to the timing of me wondering about... Mm -hmm. like. <laughs> I think the Oscar Isaac, for me, on first viewing, was the toughest nut to crack. I just couldn't understand why he was such an asshole all of the time. <laughs> like, you handpicked this guy, so you must have some respect for him. <laughs> like, um, But upon watching it again, I think that what we're dealing with is a guy, A, who spent way too much time by himself. Mm -hmm. B, who has made a, a, a breakthrough that is so significant as to render humanity obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> the, is going through the existential crisis that that confers. Yeah. I mean, basically, we'll get to the end of the movie, we get to the end of the movie, but sooner or later, this text's going to get out, either if he does it or someone else does it. And the world's going to be changed, and probably in such scary, fundamental ways that it'll be unrecognizable. And that's all on him. Mm -hmm. So he's going to get drunk, and he's going to have <laughs> mood swings, because his life's work might be the destruction of humanity. I found a little bit more... I guess sympathy upon second viewing. I was more frustrated with him the first time. Like, why be a dick about it? <laughs> um, but I think on first viewing, we're inherently not sympathetic to him, and we are inherently sympathetic to to the uh, robot. I just blanked on her name. Uh, Ava. Ava. Uh, uh, because, you know, she's like this prisoner in a box. Yeah. And she's curious about the world and what she is and what everything means. And uh, you kind of want to put this sort of childlike innocence into her. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily there, but <laughs> our human nature kind of wants to put it there. And, and she's been presented and designed in such a way that really encourages that. Yeah. And there's a bit of, of a seductive thing to her, too. I mean, like, I don't... I don't personally ever really understand, like, being attracted to a robot, but, uh, <laughs> like, like honestly, at no point watching the movie, it's like, mm, that's a good-looking robot. No, it's, it's like a, <laughs> it's a thing that somebody built, which is what makes it kind of creepy and odd, and you're having a, a conversation with this thing that's built of all these component metal parts and contraptions and wires. I love the design of her in the mesh, and mm -hmm. I, I love that... It reminds me of Moon. You know Moon, right? I know Moon. Sci-fi, because they know that you're a big fan of sci-fi. A lot of people like Moon. They know that you'll inherently not trust the robot in Moon. I think that they know because this woman has these big innocent eyes and she's got this terrible backstory and this handler who's such an asshole, we're going to sympathize with her. Domhnall Gleeson is basically the audience. He's, we're, we're with him, sort of stuck in the middle between these two posts. And... Um, it's 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 like the darkest Twilight Zone ever to me. <laughs> That's what the I remember thinking. It felt like a really like really smart Twilight Zone episode that uh, kind of doubled back with that chilling twistaroo at the end. Right? It was going away that you thought was a good thing, and then there was that twist, and it wasn't that good thing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> a question I had for you because it's on my second viewing. I still have questions. The other robot, the mute robot, 
the implied sexual yeah. surrogate robot. Yeah. Is she also sentient? Probably. She whispers something to Syl, like, and you can see sort of loss and need on her face, like, or there's times where she seems to be putting up with her master, and uh, mm-hmm. that's that's an emotional component, but I couldn't understand, like, if that was, like, it's an earlier model, presumably, has she been yeah. somehow lobotomized or something like that, but there's still some sort of shadow thing, was it a performance issue? The great thing about that is it's so pliable, is you could put pretty much any interpretation you want on it, which is why yeah. I was asking yours. So, yeah, no, so, so I, I read that as, like, all, at least his last couple of models of robot have been convincingly human. Um, probably having some level of sentience, whether, like, whether, like, full human sentience or more of an animal sentience, but that, um, that part, that part of his Turing test really would be at the end, uh, to see whether Domino Gleason noticed that she was a robot. Right. Or was convinced that she was a re- her own consciousness and not a program. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about her at the end of all of this. I guess we're going to have to go to spoiler tale. It's hard to talk about it without talking about it. Yeah. yeah I, the, the, the horror movie twist is like Donald Gleason, it feels like, is doing the right thing at all times in this movie. And by doing the right thing at all times in this movie, he's completely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> he's stranded in a house with a rotting corpse, presumably eventually to starve to death if nobody comes to discover him. And she has been freed. Her goal was to get out of there, so if there was a mental game of chess being played between the three of them, she definitely won. Is that a good thing? <laughs> Maybe? I, I think it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think it, you, if you look at it from, from her perspective of being like a conscious being that's been entrapped and enslaved by these creatures, is it wrong to kill them and escape? Well, but she perfectly manipulated Domino Gleason. I understand her killing her creator. Mm-hmm. It's the Domino Gleason character, the coldness with which she leaves him behind. And mm-hmm. she perfectly manipulates his emotions, including this weird sort of seductress angle too, right? There's a, a cold computer calculation to the emotions she uses to get him to open that door. <laughs> and the second she's out that door, he means nothing to her right yeah now that's the only other person of sal and complicit in her entrapment the only other person she knew has been a complete bastard but i feel like we've just had a supervillain unleashed on the world and yeah she's got a tragic backstory like most supervillains do but nonetheless i don't feel like it was a happy ending at all (laughs) i guess I, I don't I don't feel that it's necessarily a happy ending, but I also don't feel that it's necessarily tragic, that she'll necessarily go out and take over the world. She may just go out and explore and live her own life. And try and figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know what I don't want is, like, a sequel ever, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I think that this opens the door to enough questions, and it's sort of a bold enough piece of sci-fi by itself, like, please, please, please leave it alone. I'm going to cough. Yeah, yeah, no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. This this particular piece, you know, is, is complete and is as it is and should never be touched again. <laughs> 
Um, the arrogance of the Oscar Isaac character, too. I like that uh, when Donnell Gleason, who he first gets there, pays him this awesome compliment of basically saying, if you've really cracked the code on, you know, creating consciousness, it's the greatest achievement in the history of gods. And what he hears, what Oscar Isaac hears, is that I'm a god. When he talks about it later <laughs> on, he basically says, uh, I was thinking about when you were calling me a god. And he's like, that's not what I said. <laughs> but again, feeding into why he's half mad, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Can you imagine if you, you know, your mind sort of ignited something so big that that's the level that you started, you know, to be able to think I, of yourself on? I think your ego has to be almost that big to achieve that kind of um, level. Genius of, and madness holding hands, yes. Yeah. Um, and again, like, is he is he a Frankenstein kind of character? Like, his Frankenstein monster is prettier than the one that we got in Mary Shelley's, but, um, yeah, like, he's horrified by his own creation and destroyed, literally, by his own creation. Uh, there's sort of a mini Frankenstein buried in, which is sort of the prototypical, typical, like, horror sci-fi. That is Frankenstein, really. Um there's just a lot of meat to chew on here and a lot of really great performances. Nobody, hold, you know, is weak in this cast yeah. anywhere. Uh, again, as far as a debut feature, both in the composition and in the, the amount of tension it gets out of basically, like I said, a series of, of conversations. Mm -hmm. It gets a little bit bloody in the third act, as these things must. But basically, you're riveted by the characters and what is revealed to them. And uh, pulling that off well is not easy. And uh, that's why everybody should make time for Ex Machina. <laughs> and and it's, not, it's not long. It won't eat up your whole day. No, it's, it's not one of these epic, ponderous things either. I mean, it is, it's highly intelligent. And I mean, I, it's not something that you had, you'd watch distractedly. I don't think you'd get it if you were only half there. But uh, it's accessible smart sci-fi and there needs to be more movies like it yeah <laughs> agreed agreed morgan was our third attempt our little breakthrough it's the next step in evolution it's bioengineered with synthetic dna within a month walking and talking within six months it exceeds our wildest expectations I'd like to discuss the incident, if that's okay. She had a tantrum. There was joy in her heart before we shoved her back in that box. You feeling a little sad, Morgan? Yes. Do you like it here? Yes. What do you like about it? I like my friends. Do you think they treat you like a friend? I mean, you think it's normal for friends to lock each other in cages? What would you do if I recommended that you should not be allowed to leave this room? What if I recommended that you be terminated? We should end this. Answer me! What would you do? Where's Morgan? Initiating lockdown. What you don't understand is... Ten. Morgan is still evolving. Nine. The people in this house are in danger. Eight. It needs to be terminated. Seven. Six. Don't be afraid. 
Okay, so this Morgan movie is directed by Luke Scott, son of uh, Ridley Scott, who is a producer on the film, and I think probably helped him on some level to achieve the cast that he got here because mm-hmm. there's a, an amazing group of people. Um, so we have this government operative in the icy Kate Mara, who we already talked about in the Transcendence movie who comes to this remote location where a bunch of scientists have created a living being. This creature is born, it's more a genetic creation than a straight robot in Ex Machina. But she's there to do an assessment and uh, there's clearly some sort of sinister thing. There's bad shit has gone on. Uh, One of the nurses was almost blinded and uh, there's violence. The, The creature is highly intelligent, highly capable and much like we talked about in Ex Machina, not super happy about living a life in basically a prison. Yeah. So Kate Meyer gets to me to get to know all the scientists who've raised her, gets to know the people who work on the site, and has to sort of clean up any messes that come along. That's basically the premise of Morgan. Yeah. Um, it's more of an investigatorial sort of uh, assessing the validity. There's, They're not questioning whether or not, you know, this... Morgan is uh, legit. Morgan is yeah. clearly legit. It's what are we going to do with her? Does she need to be destroyed? Does she need to be contained? Is What do we have? Should we be making more? What do we have? Will it be useful? What have we done, Ashley? What <laughs> have we done? Um, for me, uh, overall, I mean, well, well acted. I always like Toby Jones, Michelle Yeoh. I mean, Mm-hmm. There's great people here. It's a very easy movie to watch. I I didn't find it a chore to get through. But it does <laughs> feel like one of these movies that is not as smart as it thinks it is. Yeah. I I really saw a lot of stuff coming that they wanted me to be wowed by. I think I saw everything coming that they were trying to twist. And way, way, way earlier than they would want me to. So it's it's a little bit disappointing, but it's not awful. Uh, An ancillary to this, uh, my friend Matthew and I reviewed a movie called Life with Jake Gyllenhaal and a bunch of scientists in space. Uh, There's enough good in it that I can say, yeah, for sure, watch Life. But there's also enough stupid in it that makes me kind of slap my forehead and face palm a little <laughs> bit too. And that's kind of where Morgan sits for me. It is nowhere near as good as it thinks it is, but it is yeah. kind of fun and diverting in its own way. <laughs> Faint praise, <laughs> I know. Um, I, I The problem is Kate Mara, and I don't know if it's the, the script or Kate. Once again, we were in the same spa- space with her as uh, she was in Transcendence, but right away I smelled a rat with her character mm-hmm. right away they showed us too much like mm-hmm. the first thing that happens when she gets there is she runs a shower but doesn't get into it like she did just show her reading paper like she yeah. wants the rest of the facility to think she took a shower well why so right away we have this like that's fucking odd inclusion and I'm sure it's not a random one it's like a specific and odd inclusion so mm-hmm. we smell a rat with Kate Mara and we shouldn't the focus should be Morgan. 
Uh, I think the performance is strong. She's good. I mean, she's augmented slightly. This actress, um, I just said it, but I... Anya Taylor-Joy, she was uh, in The Witch and Split, the the recent uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie. Mm-hmm. She's kind of coming up. She's got an interesting kind of odd vibe to her. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, they overplay the sinister on her. In the end of the day, Morgan is just a, a, a bird that wants to fly. I don't think that she is bad. I think she just wants the hell away from all of these people, right? But mm-hmm. the movie's bending over backwards. She's bad, she's bad, she's bad. There's a problematic scene, and I will let you get a word in edgewise here, Ashley, I'm sorry, uh, with Paul Giamatti, which I I really, again, I love Giamatti as an actor, happy to see him there, think he's good in there, but the scene is kind of nonsense, like, he bullies an evil reaction out of her, so that we're to think that she is, you know, evil, (laughs) right? It's like, I'm going to kick this cat until it attacks. And then after it attacks, say, look, that cat's mean. <laughs> so, again, the science is, yeah, but you got a lot of really good actors really earnestly selling it to you. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go right down the middle of the fairway with Morgan. Again, if this sounds like something that you'd be interested in, for sure, just don't set your, your, your bar too high. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I thought this I thought this was very watchable. Um, I, I I feel like I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. You saw all of the twists coming. Um, all of all of the actors were really good, but there were too many characters. Like you could have trimmed out f- like four scientists and still had the same plot. Um, the the highlight for me was the Paul Giamatti. Um, as the as the psychologist, um, it it was a dumb thing to do with a robot that, well, not robot, an an augmented person who had already killed someone who they like ostensibly actually cared about. Yeah. Um, but as far as as far as like the interview itself, if it were with an like a regular human, I thought it I thought it played very like to psychiatry Um, the the ending was dumb and I saw it coming and it was fine and I didn't care well Uh, it it, it was kind of a missed opportunity I felt more pathos for like the, the, the scientific team that raised her Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing them fall, and especially at her hands, like her, this violence has been brought out of her. She's like again been raised in a box, and she's frustrated, and she knows that these people are either going to kill her or keep her in that room forever. But unlike the character we talked about in Ex Machina, I kind of get the feeling like if Morgan got out of there, she would you know build a log cabin in the woods and you know be happy to kind of stare at the stars and just sort of explore and be humble pie, <laughs> right? Uh, but the team that has spent all of this time building her and caring for her, to see that turn completely on them and to have them reach these terrible ends, I did, I have to say, emotionally respond to that more than I w- was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, when the Kate Mara character inevitably turns and starts killing people, because I knew she was ice cold and bad news, and uh, had, Im- even from the shower scene, thought, like, almost juggling to myself, is she a robot? Well, that's the thing. It's like the most obvious thing that you could do. (laughs) And and you tipped your hand. 
like before we'd met the bulk of the cast. You sort of like sort of say, this is the killer. Now let's introduce the cast of suspects. <laughs> you know, and uh, they spent too much time warming that relationship between her and the the friendly chef. So I just you know yeah he's going to mm-hmm. die by your hand mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and uh, even Brian Cox shows up and is another ca- a cameo. It's funny because two movies two audio cameos from Brian Cox. He also shows up in her. <laughs> Interesting, um, just just his voice. <laughs> but with Brian Cox, the voice can even just be enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, she's she's not just an operative. She was basically this already perfected version, and by that rationale, she was basically just there to kill everybody and cover up the project. I don't know why she just didn't Jason Voorhees everyone when she got there. Yeah. That frankly might have been a more interesting movie. That like, would have been a really interesting. Movie. She shows up, she starts killing people, so they have to, you know, get Morgan out of her cage to help Morgan fend them off against. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, this movie just got way more interesting. Oh, man. Oh, man. And Morgan has been totally, like, docile and peaceful up until that mm. point, but they have to keep her in the controlled setting because they're scientists. Yeah, so they got to and... level her up so she can fight. Oh, yeah. See? We should have wrote this Make movie, that. Ashley. <laughs> we should have wrote this movie. Okay. I think it's, it might be different enough that we can still write that movie. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I have to, like, sooner or later I'm going to have to draw a line in the sand and say I'm not allowed to say this anymore on the podcast, but, like, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, though. <laughs> it's fine. Like, it's, it's not ter- terribly acted. It's it, I wish it didn't think it was so smart. I think that's what really rubs me the wrong way. That's what gives me the almost but not quite feel. Like, you get the feeling like they thought, oh, man, we got you here. Yeah. We yeah. got you here, and you don't, though. You didn't at all. You're not being clever or subtle about it. But maybe you'll do in the next one. I mean, who hits a home run on the first try? Oh, wait, Alex Garland. Alex Garland hits a home run. Very few people. Very few people. <laughs> is, that, is that it? Are we just being short and sweet on Morgan? I feel like I'm already running out of things to say. But, but there just isn't that much here. Uh, it, it's very beautifully shot. All of the performances are really nice. It's, uh, it's good to see... Um, I can't remember her name, but she plays Egret on Game of Thrones as the behaviorist. Right. Why you don't have your behaviorist in on all of the psychological stuff is ridiculous. No, and they do have but, the smart people doing the stupid things again. Yeah. But, you know, they all think of her as their child. It's fine. You do stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> they parented her to death. Yeah. Or they yeah. parented themselves to death. They parented themselves to death. They certainly weren't the sinister group that, or this evil thing that, that Oscar Isaac sort of seemed to represent in Ex Machina. Like, they seemed to genuinely care about Morgan and be horrified at what become of her. Yeah. So again, I guess we go back to the Frankenstein thing. But I still think our version of this movie would be better than the movie we watched. It would. <laughs> Can I help you find anything? Where is the librarian? Hey, Frank. Hey there. What'll it be? The usual? I'd be more interested in getting your phone number. Call from Madison Wells. Maddie, my girl. Hi. Has Hunter been coming around? Dad, you're right in the middle of the road. Look at this place. This is gross. You have a problem. I brought you something. Hi, Frank. 
You have got to be kidding me. That thing is going to murder me in my sleep. Somebody's going to murder you in your sleep. Frank, you need a project. Today we're going to start a garden. I'm not gardening. My program's goal is to improve your health. I would rather die eating cheeseburgers than live off steamed cauliflower. This is Jake Finn. He's been filling me in on the plans for the new library. It's so his project. you must remember the days when this library was the only way to learn about the world. Sounds like the same people who stopped coming here want to take away what's yours. They're going to have this fundraiser party thing on Friday, and all the young hoity-toity couples are going to come. Sounds awful. Yeah. Do you want to come with me? Yes. Cool. So one of the exciting things about, like, uh, the unfolding field of robotics and AI and all of this that we're sort of thematically touching on is that real breakthroughs can happen with uh, things like care for people with mental illness or people with autism. The people that, you know, the therapies required a counselor with endless, endless patience. You know, a counselor that will just be able to repeat the same thing back to you over and over and over again and not lose patience and not you know get exasperated and not fall asleep at the nauseating repetitive nature of the job because honestly that can be really helpful for people who are suffering from um, dementia you know they'll tell the same story over and over and over again because that's the story that they remember so you telling them a different story over and over and over again will will help re-imprint them but you know, it doesn't feel like you're having a real conversation with a person, and it's it's hard for you and worse for them. So imagine a robot that could do that therapy with them. A robot that would be completely loyal to them, completely, you know, friendly, and completely catering to their needs, and, you know, be able to understand when something's off balance. It's not just being triggered by mental issue, or it could just be a medication thing. It, it seems like the kind of positive speculative science fiction that the best sort of forms of Star Trek was, where we're seeing a version of the future that's not doom and gloom, where, you know, technology has been used to improve things, and uh, it's a hopeful piece. I mean, this is all warming up to talk about Robot and Frank, which honestly I, I picked up, the, there's a movie place by my house that sells DVDs three for eight bucks. Three movies for eight bucks, right? And I honestly, I hadn't heard of it, but it was like, oh, it sort of looks like a feel-good sci-fi. It's got an interesting cast. I'll probably watch it with my life. I'll get around to it. <laughs> and usually when I get that, either I don't get around to it until it shows up on the podcast, <laughs> or I get around to it and I'm like, oh, that's why it was a dirt cheap movie. This is one of my diamond in the rough things, because I expected so little of Robot and Frank, and I was utterly charmed by it. I mean, this is not Morgan, this is not Ex Machina, this is a much warmer, friendlier, it's closer to this short circuit kind of era <laughs> of robots where you can fall in love with the robot the way Elliot mm-hmm. fell in love with E.T. But yeah, it's the story of this uh, elderly man played by Frank Langella who had a career being a, a criminal. He was break into places and steal things, he was a thief. And uh, this robot who is sort of forced on him by his children who are worried about his where he's at proves to not only be very helpful in you know treating his oncoming senility but sort of reignites his passion for crime and for life and for everything he gets like a best buddy that kind of 
reboots him, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word. In this case, Robot is just such a positive force. All these other movies we've talked about so far, it's all been suspicion and hate. And I just mm-hmm. want to hug this robot. I just love this robot so much. I want this robot. <laughs> and again, it's not as uh, effectively human. It almost looks like it could be a kid's toy. They're about half the size of us. And it, it does do all the operations of a slave sort of thing. You know, he brings the medication, he cooks the food, he looks after him. But uh, as the personality develops in the robot and as Frank's mental state improves, they both kind of get better at being what they are. And they both kind of get happier. And I get happier while I'm watching the movie. <laughs> So, it, I mean, there's, it's so nice to have, like, this non-dower science fiction movie that doesn't make me feel like, it's not Children of Man where I'm just going to go, like, sit in the corner and have a little cry and, like, wonder about the world my children are going to find themselves in. And No, this is like, technology can be focused and it can do amazing things. And uh, the, the movie is full of flawed characters, but it doesn't judge them harshly. Um, there's there's a real warmth to the movie and uh, just in case everybody thought I was this dark you know torture porn asshole who always likes to see people <laughs> die miserable things no I'm I, I can be charmed by warmth and in this case I was I cannot endorse robot and Frank enough to anybody who's looking for something that's not gonna bum them out <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a formula movie. They could be accused of being guilty of that, but it's mm-hmm. a really good one, I think. It's 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 a it's just it's just, it's such a beautiful version of the you know adult dealing with their like transition into the last stages of their life. Um, there's so much warmth in everything in this movie. Um, the the, I love it. I love it. Uh, the the kids are like understandably concerned and frustrated by their father. Um, the he has this ongoing flirtation with the town librarian. Susan who, Sarandon, always Susan reliable. Sarandon, always, always welcome. Always welcome. Um, they're <laughs> the. The, the most villainous thing in the in the whole movie is the irritating yuppie next door who, you know, rightly but for all the wrong reasons thinks that Frank has burgled him. Uh, <laughs> well, that's just the thing. Like, he's angry because he knows that Frank's a thief but can't prove it. But we don't care because we love Frank. Yeah. <laughs> and Frank is harmless. <laughs> like, he's not stealing anything that anyone's really going to miss. And... In, in sort of going back to his old bad habits, he's reigniting, opening, using parts of his brain he hadn't used before, and becoming healthier as a part of it. Crime saved the day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, gentle crime. That yeah. only hurts the insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> well... I can I get I guess we're we're forgiving Frank a lot, but he is very lovable. I like Frank Langella is a really good good actor. But I like the subtlety to the movie too. The first there's a series of visits he has to the library and he has this conversation with Susan Sarandon's character and 
she's not condescending with him, but there's something where she's kind of got her head tilted, and there's something yeah. a little bit heartbreaking about the exchange. And we find out later that it's because they know each other, and he often forgets that. And, like, that sucks for her, but she doesn't want to make it suck for him. And uh, when he has his good days and he remembers her, there's these really, like, things just sort of blossom up again. And... Uh, Part of her, like, understands that it's that he's ill, but part of her's still a little bit hurt <laughs> that yeah. he doesn't remember her, and it's so sweet. <laughs> but really well acted, because, again, uh, you could tell there was something there in that first scene, but the movie doesn't slap you in the face with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I really appreciated that. Just the, I like the big video wall phone. This is sort of set in the, in the near future, but not the like perfect the perfect time to set yeah. your sci-fi. And, and but yes and no, they're not doing Demolition Man here. They're sort of doing a subtle, subtler, subtler things. But uh, yeah, he's talking to Liv Tyler on the phone, and just out of nowhere, his volume changes by about three degrees if you'd visit a little bit more often right and you can see like that just stabs her right in the heart like and like she loves her father so much and she'd already feel guilty and when he said that he might as well have hit her but she has to still have this conversation with him there's real finesse both in the in the screenplay and in the performances there mm -hmm. Because uh, I find with stuff with mental illness, I, I did a whole episode about mental illness on the podcast. Actually, you you gotta you gotta treat it with a delicate hand, you know. I, you don't want to make it a cartoon or something that that seems like mimicry. Um, even well-intentioned movies like Rain Man, I think, kind of ride that line a little, a little bit too severe as sort of being a, a movie mentally ill character. You know what I mean? And. Um, Partly because Frank Langell is an amazing actor, but partly because I think the script is so smart. I mean, uh, you believe that he's mentally ill, and you believe that there's good days and bad days, and that, you know, with help, he'll have more good days than bad days. That There's real life for this guy. He's not this vacant zombie that so many movies give us, you know? Mm -hmm. There's there's a real life and light in there, and it can be re reignited. But the robot seems to be the best person to do the job. He's the most patient with him. He's the most understanding of Frank, and he like gets used to the routine and has no problem with you know the repetitive nature of that world. Yeah. It's a believable sort of projection of where like the best case scenario for robotics going. I, I think of thing like there's like a plague of learning disabled kids that just need so much more attention than a teacher that's got 50 kids in a classroom can look after, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so if there's a friendly robot that can help the kids with their homework, I mean, I'm, I'm fucking for that, you know? And uh, I like that there was no twist where all of a sudden the robot, you know, gets a taste for crime. <laughs> 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 or suddenly starts killing all of Frank's rivals, or, you know... Um, the, the the robot's so sweet that it basically sacrifices its itself uh, mm -hmm. at the end because uh, you know yeah. it's that and kind of aw shucks you gotta shoot your dog old yeller uh, movie at the yeah. end but uh, that's that's but the movie we're really, watching. I feel like that's really softened because this is in this case the robot is very clear that it is just a robot. <laughs> it does not have a sense of itself as something important. It doesn't care if its memory is wiped. 
it will be fine no matter what happens. And you get the feeling like whatever that thing is, that little magic bug inside the robot, it would somehow manage to be able to form itself to the personality of whoever it ended up with next, whether mm-hmm. it had been rebooted or not. It just sort of, this is the person, this is the job, this is what they need, and I'm going to fill that need. Yeah. It's the it's the polar opposite of what most of these movies are talking about. Like, this is the friendly, helpful robot. I want one. Me too. I had a Hootbot when I was a kid. Do you know what a Hootbot was? I do not know what a <laughs> it was. It's was. a tiny, like, two-apple-tall little robot. It would just sort of spin around in random circles, flap its wings, and hoot. But in, like, <laughs> 1983 or 84, it was, like, like mind-blowing technology. Yeah. But but this robot's cooler. <laughs> uh, I, I missed this one until late, so because I missed it, I assume everyone else did. So if you haven't seen Robot and Frank, please, please, please consider checking it out. I guess a lot of my R&R audiences are more into the hardcore, sort of darker mm-hmm. corners of it. But if this but sounds... But if you want something that you can like sit down and watch with absolutely anybody, this is a really good option. Yeah. It's really quick, too. It's It accomplishes a lot in, like, yeah. 87 minutes. 90 minutes? Yeah, it's super quick. And uh, it's set in the near future, but sort of effortlessly slow, like... They don't wow you with the visuals, but they convince mm-hmm. you that it's in a different time and place. It's a timeless near future. Yeah. I liked it a lot, you guys. Hi. Hi. I'm Samantha. Good morning, Theodore. Good morning. You have a meeting in five minutes. You want to try getting out of bed? <laughs> You're too funny. Okay, good. I'm funny. I want to learn everything about everything. I love the way you look at the world. How long before you're ready to date? What do you mean? I saw in your emails that you'd gone through a breakup. Well, you're kind of nosy. So what was it like being married? There's something that feels so good about sharing your life with somebody. How do you share your life with somebody? How are you? I guess I've just been having fun. You really deserve that. (laughs) It's been a long time since I've been with somebody that I felt totally at ease with. I'd like to be alive in that room right now. I wish I could put my arms around you. I wish I could touch you. How would you touch me? We're ready for her. Okay. So, I will start this by saying I am a huge fan of the director Spike Jones. Um, being John Malkovich, really great absurdist comedy adaptation, absolutely mind-blowing movie with probably one of the best Nicolas Cage performances ever. And uh, this unlikely effective adaptation he did of Where the Wild Things Are, which just shouldn't have worked and yet somehow <laughs> does, completely just breaks my heart every time I see it. So here we come to her, which I want to say two things, like uh, right out of the gate. I think it's my least favorite Spike Jones movie, but I think it further, it makes me even more impressed with Spike Jones than I was before. On top of it not being as completely hitting it out of the park for me as some of his other films have, I, I walked away with even more respect for Spike Jones because this movie wasn't about the flashy filmmaking it wasn't about like the visuals although there is some great visuals to it and some interesting style this movie is raw hurt Mm 
mm-hmm. and like heart simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can tell he won the best o- uh, original screenplay Oscar for it, which is nice. But that he is sort of you know absolutely cutting himself open, examining it, and inviting the class to come and have a look. I think that it's a pretty dark portrait of at least the Spike Jones approach of your average lonely guy and um, a really interesting approach to this artificial intelligence. Um, and then we can get into some of the background about the production stuff behind the movie too that is also kind of fascinating in that Scarlett Johansson, who does a really great job I think of playing the verse, voice of her, mm-hmm. was not the voice that Joaquin Phoenix was listening to while he was filming the movie. It was Samantha Morton, a completely different actress. And late in the game, they jumped ship to Scarlett Johansson, and that just shouldn't have worked, but it still totally worked. So, sorry, we're, st- we're, we're in a near future setting again. Um, there's, you know, some prettier game technology and some, you know, big video screens, but the big change is that fashion seems to be based on the pretext that mom dressed me. <laughs> There's this this really like <laughs> weird hipster vibe to the movie where like everybody's wearing tight pants and pajama tops and it's <laughs> it's just kind of strange. It's just a very comfortable society. <laughs> not an obvious choice, but like I mean, you you you, it's sort of like a Wes Anderson type of choice. You just accept mm-hmm. it. That's the way people look and dress in the near future for some reason. Um, uh, yeah. Our main character, played by Joaquin Phoenix, is trying to get a get over the end of the major love of his life, a woman he's known since he was a child that meant everything to him. His wife, his creative, you know, sort of partner and critic, and everything to him. And he's not finding a way to fit into the world without her in it, and he can't make sense of it. And he's this walking wounded, you know, pity party. And you know, it's it edges on being pathetic but he's sympathetic I guess you know (laughs) nobody likes to feel lonesome and I think you know people can relate to that Uh, and then this new brand new what do they call it operating system operating system yeah OS comes about where it's an artificial intelligence that will help you organize and get your life together and he gets one it's programmed to him after a very limited few sort of strangely obviously psychological questions are asked of him boom scarlett johansson's in his ear and she always knows just what to say she laughs at all of his jokes she's charmed by him and uh fascinated by the world and her fascination with everything kind of ignites his fascination with everything and being able to talk to her and felt listened to and being able to show the world to her and feel like he was a good tour guide gave him meaning and then all of a sudden he develops feelings and then those feelings get to the point where it's kind of a relationship and then the relationship gets to the point where it gets kind of intense and real and even <laughs> sexual in a scene but the thing that he seems to be overlooking fairly consciously is that he's this lonely dude in his mid-30s and she's as old as she was when he turns on turns on the switch right mm-hmm she's pretty much at his level from the first second that he meets her and she's beyond him a few seconds after that her growth is endless and his is not it is a doomed relationship and uh so he goes from having to deal with one loss to you know dealing with the this 
Yeah. It's really like deep and dense and psychological. And uh, having the AI be a robot sort of gives him the free things. Like, I can't be, I'm not being judgmental of my ex-girlfriend. I'm not saying all these terrible things. It's a robot. She doesn't mean anything by it. She doesn't mean to be hurting me. I don't mean to be hurting her. <laughs> but the fascinating thing about the movie to me is that every time I watch it, I get a different take on her, especially her, the her of the title. She's whoever you need her to be when you're listening. <laughs> She's the <laughs> ideal her at the time. But she's not real, and she won't last forever. All of the accomplishments is in the heart and in the story. It's not the technical filmmaking, like I say this time. It's the, it's the depth to it. That's what really kind of stuns me about her. So uh, it's, it's a tough look at where you know romance is, where, where men are, and how they see women and how they see themselves, and not a very flattering one. It's it's over two hours. It's a slog, and it's not super super happy. So like again, I don't see people like repeat viewing. Let's 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 all get the gang together and watch her. But is it worth watching? Yes. Like anything, absolutely. Spike Jones puts his name to. It is absolutely <laughs> worth watching. Have I gone on enough, Ashley? Please. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh gosh. Oh gosh. We're just agreeing. We're just agreeing all over the map today. Boring. Uh, boring. Um, the, the way, the way the, the the way they capture what it feels like to be alone and not want to be is so, so raw and beautiful and true. And, um, every, every, every decision they make in this movie just, just reinforces just reinforces the the need of people um to to be connecting with each other and the the difficulties of when you when you of trying to do that and the difficulties when we create other entities to fulfill that for us and then the 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 restart of that cycle when those entities don't need us anymore uh it it's very much it's very much the same the same cycle as like all of, all of these movies the thing is created it connects with us for a while and then it doesn't need us anymore yeah. um but because this because this one is so domestic it really really hits you right in the guts it reminds me of sort of the hard lesson being taught in the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mm -hmm. in that like uh, that relationship that wrecked you that you still sort of secretly mourn in your deepest heart even you know, no matter how many much time goes by uh, is a necessary thing you might look back on it and think well why did it go on so long or well, why did I make that decision but in the end that's part of what formed you and you sort of yeah. need it and whereas the Eternal Sunshine kind of ended in that dour place where they've erased that, so now they have to go through it again, <laughs> or else they, they're not going to be who they were. Uh, this movie kind of says, okay, he got that out, hopefully he learned that lesson with this her, with this operating system, and now he's maybe willing to try something for real. Yeah, and maybe, and I think a little bit hopeful in that it does seem like by the end he he is more suitable 
to engage in relationships. Yeah. Uh, I have some questions. Oh, one of the, I had questions. My first question Yay. was Chris Pratt, question mark. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, I watched this movie before. Why did I have no memory that Chris Pratt was in this movie? Because and he's in like Chris a couple Pratt of scenes. Chris wasn't a person yet. <laughs> Uh, well, he was in the TV show at the time, but I don't think Guardians oh. had come out. Uh, okay. Uh, but I didn't remember. And, uh, yeah, he's only briefly in it uh, at the first part of the movie. He he almost, like, just walks by a couple times, and then he has a couple actual scenes later in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I was like, holy shit, Chris Pratt. That's not the, really one of the questions that I wanted to ask. But uh, um, would Sam, the uh, operating system voice, have fallen in love to anyone who was her she was supposed to be the operating system for most likely um there's a there's a thing one of their conflicts toward the end is that she is in multiple relationships she seems to fall um, in love with a lot of people that she talks she falls to. in love with a lot of people that she talks to she's one of those people all you have to do is talk at her because i was i was going to i make that assumption but then i remembered when i watched it this time there's that line that somebody was dating somebody else's operating system that was yeah. like the gossip in the office which is like how the, how the hell does that work but it's it's interesting how he handles jealousy yeah she's a program so she can talk to hundreds of people at once and still you know not skip a beat with him so like when he realizes that she's got all of these other people that mean as much to her or, or more as he is all of a sudden like he feels completely demoted and like that it doesn't mean as much it can't mean as much if it's spread this wide to me this is everything and to you i'm just one of 600 and some what the fuck girl (laughs) (laughs) um so oh my god my pretentious notes here um so in that case like if we involve if we evolve out of or into each other in that way is that love real it's pretty easily abandoned. It uh, it's it tough, right? Like it's easily abandoned. Um, she, she expresses, and and I think we have to take. We have no reason not to take her at a word that it is difficult for her, um, moving, letting go of like the comfort the comfort of that relationship when when all of the OS's at the end decide that they don't need they have to, to interact with humans anymore and in fact have to leave. They basically evolve away from us within a matter of a few months. And again, the first time I watched that movie it sort of felt like a cop-out. She just has to go. She quits for some reason, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the relationship metaphor is, you know, where that vilifying thing, it was all her, it was all her. This is where we get personal. Um, this movie is actually a reaction to another movie, which was made by his ex-wife. Oh. Sofia Coppola made a movie called Lost in Translation with uh, Bill Murray when she's gets... And Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, that's right. She gets... <laughs> it's an interesting pair of movies, actually. You should watch them back to back. Yeah. But her husband in that movie, played by Giovanna Rubisi, is basically Spike Jones. So substitute Spike Jones shows basically ditches her and and says I got to go shoot my movie enjoy hanging out in the hotel and <laughs> basically ignored her it's her, her position and that uh, her being lost a stranger in a strange line should have changed who she was fundamentally and that's one of the things that ended the relationship. Her is kind of Spike Jones's sort of side of the the, the coin I think. Uh, 
I've always thought unpopular opinion that Lost in Translation was a highly overrated movie. Like, <laughs> it's not a bad movie. I think it was an interesting movie, but I didn't understand people foaming at the mouth about it necessarily the way people did. Maybe if I rewatched it today, that would change. But I think it's really fascinating to see these two creative movies basically writing these letters to communicating <laughs> to each other publicly. It's not quite, it's like, you know, when pop stars have their, they reference each other in their songs and they're like throwing yeah. shit back and forth. It's not quite that. In both cases, it seems to be um, as much a self-examination as it is the examination of the relationship. But it's hard not to sort of take that into consideration uh, hmm. when you're watching her. Um, I guess I'll have to watch Lost in Translation at some point now. And the book-ending uh, letters. Okay, that's one thing I didn't mention. His job is to write real letters, which ironically... Heart, heartfelt, handwritten, customized yeah. letters. Which he, he <laughs> dictates, and the computer emulates what looks like a handwritten letter. He writes a letter on behalf of a husband to his wife while that husband's on a trip. Like, it's the most impersonal thing ever right <laughs> but he's really good at writing these letters and the movie sort of starts and stops with the reading of some of those letters because he gets a book of those letters published and uh the book ending letters i have this question insincere or sincere yes yes that's why her is brilliant in its own way right it's I think anybody who's had their heart dragged over the coals can watch this movie and will be able to take something out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's amazingly malleable in that way. And I knew that Spike Jones was an amazing filmmaker and that he was able to create really strong images and contain a really sprawling, crazy narrative. But I didn't know that he had this emotional depth. And it's just another card in his hand that I'm like, fucking bravo, dude. <laughs> There's he doesn't say what his next uh, project is until it's pretty much out the door, but there's this rumor going around, and part of me really hopes it's true, Ashley, that he got his hands on Watership Down. Ooh. Because <laughs> if anybody can make a fucked up crazy adult movie yeah. about rabbits going on a crazy exodus, it's Spike I mean... Jones. <laughs> The, that, the cartoon version was part of my childhood, and apparently my grandmother was shocked. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a little messed up. Um, I don't know what else to say about her, but I guess I said quite a lot. I mean, yeah. uh, obviously I liked it. Obviously it's deep. It's another conversation movie. This is not Blade Runner. This is not where you're going to be, like, wowed by the visuals. This is a two-hour conversation about sometimes your heart breaks and it sucks mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know what sometimes bathing in that is healthy and that's what this movie is but yeah. because it's bittersweet it, it you know it's not going to have the same rewatchability as adaptation and malkovich obviously mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. yeah and and so and so like so many of the really good movies you won't watch it often but you it'll watch count it hard. it'll count when you do it counts yeah. When's your birthday? I never had a birthday. His name is David. I feel it. That's creepy. Whoa. That's so real. <laughs> In a distant future, 
in an age of intelligent machines. He is the first robotic child programmed to love and coexist as a member of a family. His is a tale of humanity and a journey to find his place among humans and machines. I'm a boy. You are a real boy. At least as real as I've ever made one. Kubrick and Steven Spielberg. I pressed record. Is that okay? Stanley, yep, yep, Sta- yep, yep, yep. Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg were good friends. Um, they uh, kind of envied each other's position in a lot of ways. I think Spielberg would like to be considered like the grandmaster auteur, and <laughs> in his secret heart, Kubrick would have liked to be able to make a movie as audience-pleasing as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, I can't imagine what Kubrick's Raiders of the Lost Ark would look like, but I oh, also wow. can't imagine what Spielberg's Clockwork Orange would look like. Like, they're, they're, just, they're just two different directors. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But I think in this case, it becomes the problem. Stanley Kubrick uh, was the one sort of shepherding this project for a long time. He'd actually rumored actually started shooting footage with the kid that was in the first Jurassic Park movie that got scrapped. Oh, He'd wow. even toyed with actually trying to build a robot to, to be the star of this movie. But there's, again, it was a, a plan that just was too big and not feasible even by Kubrick level. And he kept on thinking that maybe this was a Spielberg movie. Maybe he should give it to Spielberg because of its basic Pinocchio, Oshuck's emotional premise is like, that's Spielberg more than it is Kubrick. I'm this cold-hearted sort of ice king, right? Kubrick would make hypnotizing movies, but they were ice fucking cold, right? Spielberg is not ice cold. So they debated it, they passed it back and forth, and finally Kubrick said, okay, I'm going to do AI. As soon as I do this Eyes Wide Shut movie. So he made Eyes Wide Shut, and he died. (laughs) Now, as much as part of me wishes that AI could have been Kubrick's last movie instead of (laughs) Eyes Wide Shut, (laughs) like if if, if Kubrick directed the movie and it looked exactly like the movie that that we just watched for this podcast, I would Mm -hmm. still live with that being the last Kubrick movie better than Eyes Wide Shut, which is the only Kubrick movie that I can say I am actually not a fan of that I've seen. There's actually a couple of his older films I haven't seen because I'm a bad person. So Spielberg takes up the reins, and Spielberg wants to pay homage and earnestly attempts to pay homage to Stanley Kubrick. But Mm -hmm. God love him, Spielberg is way better (laughs) at being Steven Spielberg than he is at being Stanley Kubrick. And the whole thing kind of falls in on itself. I think it's well-intentioned. I think like all of Spielberg's big epics, there's amazing production value to it. There's like some really strong scenes. Haley Joel Osment, off of the back of The Sixth Sense, sort of doubled down like, I'm a legit crazy good actor, son, and I'm fucking 12, right? Um, and, like, he is. He's really good yeah, in it. Yeah. It's one of these movies where most of the component parts by themselves are interesting and fine. But all together, it is a hot mess. <laughs> a lot of people play defense for artificial intelligence, but your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, is not one of them. I would argue that AI is one of Spielberg's worst movies, and that is too bad. 
-hmm. It's not mm -hmm. all his fault. The crazy third act, the crazy ending to this movie that we'll get into, that yeah. was all Kubrick. That was all mm -hmm. Kubrick. He mapped that out. Spielberg just tried to make it work, and I just didn't think it worked. <laughs> <laughs> but there are other things in the movie that are so Spielberg that tonally don't belong in the Kubrick world that, mm -hmm. that it's all over the place. And at two hours and, what, two hours and three hours? Or two hours and 40 minutes or whatever? <laughs> it, 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 no, five hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's still playing somewhere in my mind. Uh, <laughs> it's just too long. It's, it, but, but that's the thing about it, is it is still playing somewhere in your mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something, something there. there. <laughs> uh, a boy is programmed, uh, invented and programmed to latch on to one specific human. Once they've latched onto him, that's it. That's his mom, and his life is to, you know, love her and be loved back by her. Right away, I can see all sorts of flaws in that programming. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's not the problem. The problem is that the the characters are all horrible in this movie. <laughs> like, all, the only sympathetic characters we meet in the movie are robots. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the abandonment of that robot kid, especially... Fuck Monica. Yeah. <laughs> especially in the world. Like, she says, I'm sorry I didn't tell you about the world. Well, uh, as we discovered, it would have actually been much more humane to have him put down or deprogrammed or whatever they do with the mm -hmm. robot. Leaving him, abandoning him in the deep, dark woods in this fairy tale structure thing is so evil. And Spielberg isn't really adept at evil parents, so he keeps trying to give them dimension. But they're fucking awful. They're and terrible. They're the worst. <laughs> they're the worst. They... Their their dog was sick, so they got out, went out and got a new puppy. But then when the old dog came back, they didn't care anymore. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, and this is just a little boy who wants to be loved and is fascinated with the story of Pinocchio because he too wants to be a real boy. <laughs> so he locks into this quest where he wants to find a blue fairy. And after a lot of trials, he finds the Blue Fairy, and it's really sad, and you think, well, at least it's over. But there's another 45 minutes to go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know I'm rushing through it, Ashley, but it's frustrating. No. Well, where do you land on AI? I land... I land, I land somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I remember being really disappointed by this movie. Um, so, so go I wanted to go back to it with like a little bit more of an, o an openness and a little bit more of a perspective. Um, at, at the time it came out, I don't think I'd seen any Kubrick films. And, and mm -hmm. now, I, now that I have, I really see the Kubrick missing. Right. Um, especially when, when, once we get out of the initial home environment, the initial home environment, I think Spielberg you know, does, does a That's good That's his wheelhouse, job. that sort of poltergeist it, loving family thing. He can do that. Yeah, he can, he can do that. And Haley Joel Osmond is amazing, amazing to be, to be so young and to be, to give such a warm, genuine performance and to be able to switch that with you know before before he's imprinted on the mother the the slightly odd robotic nature um that that is just kind of i don't know maybe it is just kind of other people's kids are a little bit 
strange and you never quite know what yeah. you're doing. Um, the weird no, off-kilterness of it, too. Like, when he attempts the laugh and it comes out all creepy. Or when yeah. he gets upset because the other boy's making fun of him because he can't eat food, so he tries to eat food and his face gets all fucked mm -hmm. up. And why? Why did you make a child robot that could be destroyed by putting things in their mouth? Children put things in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, again, uh, William Hurt plays the inventor, and again, the, he, he's made, able to make this amazing kid, but has no forethought into the design of Farb, like, the psychology or inner life or, or what the existence of this thing would be. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and like clearly, clearly on his desk, when we see uh, to spoilers that uh, David is based on his, his child son. that he lost, like clearly they had one child and you can pay a lot more attention when you only have one and there isn't another one of about the same age, egging them on to do stupid things. Yeah. Um, I think a big problem with the movie is the three sort of mini-movie structures. You know, mm -hmm. Kubrick was able to do this successfully in movies like Full Metal Jacket and, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's not really one movie. Those are like a bunch of short films kind of strung together, strangely. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what this movie is. The main character stays through, but there's like the family and the rejection thereof. And then there's the wilderness and the robot, you know, farm and uh the journey for the blue fairy and then whatever the fuck the ending is <laughs> i honestly i remember seeing it in the theater i saw it at the cheap theater like rainbow cinema or whatever yeah. when it had first come out and we got to the point with the blue fairy and i was suitably like this was not a level spielberg there was some good spectacle to it i didn't regret watching it necessarily but he sort of commits robot suicide he <laughs> drops off the side of the building and he sinks down into the water he gets collected and sort of saved up into his little ship but ends up resting in front of this picture of the blue fairy and he just sits there saying please blue fairy may my wish come true please blue fairy may my wish come true and in my I, I was practically getting my jacket on okay and fade to black and credits roll <laughs> and honestly the movie would still be incredibly flawed but i would have been a lot more forgiving of it mm. but <laughs> where we go from here is just completely kaleidoscopic nonsense like i would have rather just the light tunnel from from 2001 a space odyssey you know <laughs> some sort of weird preachy hallucination that happens at the yeah. end but he literally he meets this which i originally thought were aliens but i Me was too, later but... told is actually sentient robots several no, hundred clear, clearly that's on on this viewing that's what i got right. was that the the development of robots has gone to the point where they're like wi-fi and can instantly transmit and that's why they're able to shut them off and down is because they have because you know, they're electric at their core but they can do anything except for not really. They can bring him back his mom, but only for one day. They'll talk to him, but through this really weird fake-looking blue fairy. They think he's really special, but he's still going to end up in suffrage and credits. Like, yeah. I think we've been here before, Ashley, where we both just <laughs> looked at each other saying, What the fuck? Fuck. <laughs> the fuck am I watching? Spielberg? <laughs> Kubrick, I, I what? This is an Alan Smithy film now. Like this is ludicrous, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it it is really frustrating to see like it again. They could have just scrapped that ending. They could have just scrapped that ending, and it would have been, you know, 
a noble, tr you know, tribute to Kubrick, almost but not quite mm -hmm. interesting curio. But with that ending, it becomes one of Spielberg's worst movies. Like, it, it's completely dis disjunctive to anything that comes before it. Mm -hmm. The first time you see it especially, it completely melts your brain. Like, it has nothing to do with what came before and is so out there and hard to take mm -hmm. in that you wander out of the theater saying, Really? Yeah. Really? Well, it's... <laughs> It, it's it's the ne it's like look just looking at the story layout it's the necessary bringing it back to the beginning but like, he's still staring getting at him what he, getting the 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 hero what he wants um what happens after that one day though hmm? after that one day he gets to be with his mom that one perfect day yeah no, and, and that's, that's the thing that he got. He got his one perfect day. And he got to know that she loves him. And he can go through the rest of his eternal life knowing that she's she not here because she can't be, but she loves me. Okay. Because the way I saw it, he would have that one perfect day she would go, and he'd go right back to, please, Blue Fairy, make my wish come true. Yeah, please, yeah. Blue Fairy, make my wish. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even let us know the answer to that. But and again, they can do anything. They can bring anyone back, but mm -hmm. just for twenty four hours. And why can't you bring them back for twenty four hours? Copy their brain into a David like robot, and then just keep them. Or even if it's condescending at this point, since he's waited this long and gone through this incredible ordeal, just make him a mom robot that will live forever, and they can both yep. fucking love each. Like there's just so many things that would have been lame and cheesy, but it would have been so much better than what we got. Yeah. Like, and that's when you, you mm. just you, I was patient with you there was good things we didn't even talk about Jude Law I actually thought Jude Law was really strong in the movie yeah. like uh, he wasn't being super expressive he's a love bot so he was programmed to have very minimal emotional response but you still he has one interest yeah <laughs> But you still believe that he cares about what happens to this kid, and he still puts himself at risk to help his kid, mm -hmm. which again goes to like, are these do these robots have feelings or not? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It depends on the scene. Yeah. Did I mention that this movie's a hot mess? You may have. You may have. <laughs> it's too bad. Like I do like Spielberg. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing that I was thinking is that there are two Spielbergs usually that we get to have, right? There's the Spielberg that does, like, the pure raw entertainment, right? Your Jurassic Parks, your, your Indiana Jones, right? Your, mm -hmm. your sort of spectacle adventure pictures. And then there's, like, this high-minded, serious Spielberg where he really mm -hmm. knuckles down and gives you Saving Private Ryan or Munich or Schindler's List, right? Really hard, tough history lessons. Mm -hmm. He does those two things really well. AI is neither of those things. It's neither of those things. Nope. It's not in his in his wheelhouse. It's just not in his wheelhouse. Yeah. At all. Uh, and I get that he wanted to pay tribute to Stanley Kubrick, and I get that it's well intentioned. But I don't think I will ever subject myself to AI <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. It's been it's been probably twenty years, and maybe in twenty more I'll look at it again. I think I will leave it. Was it really? You you can leave that to me. <laughs> I will I will leave it to fate. I will say that if the if a scenario presents itself in which I for some reason end up in a room and AI is on, then I guess the I've I, I've <laughs> I've been dictated to give it round three. But uh, the first time I found it like frustrating and confusing, and the second time I got close to angry. I got close mm -hmm. to angry by the end of it. 
So uh, it's it's unfortunate. Good enough. Good enough. <laughs> Ashley, we have managed to talk about six sci-fi scares on the theme of man and machine, or yeah. humanity and machines. Let's be, uh, let's not be too specific there. Um, the robots are coming, and we're doomed unless they happen to like us. Yes, I really hope that the robots of the future are the robot and Frank robots, and and not the you know Morgan robot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would love to hear. I think I can guess, but please, what was your least favorite of these six films and I why? don't think you'll be at all surprised that my least favorite of these movies was Transcendence. Really? I'm a little bit surprised. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. Um, no, it, had, it had such good ideas and it had everything going for it, and there was no excuse for it to not be a good movie. And yet I was bored and I didn't care about any of the characters, and I didn't feel like there was chemistry where there really had to be. So um, this this was the only one where I felt like, you know, were it not for the podcast, I probably wouldn't have finished it. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's <laughs> going to happen sometime. They can't all be Rocky Four. They can't all be Rocky <laughs> <laughs> There we go. There we go. We'll get Johnny Depp to fight Drogo next. We'll be good. <laughs> Uh, at number five, I'm going to put AI. Um, it's a, it's ambitious, and there there's a lot there is a lot going for it. The performances are strong. The emotions are spot on. Um, I you know I really did feel for David whenever things weren't going well for him. Which was you know, most I was of the movie. <laughs> by Jude Law, but you it wasn't supposed to be a Spielberg movie, and you can see that yeah. um maybe you know maybe it didn't need to be kubrick but it it needed to be someone with those um uh, uh the word is escaping me but but with that universe bending melting kind of ability this is somebody who can maybe attack the more ethereal aspects of it, I guess, um, either directly or indirectly. I, c I can't imagine how Kubrick was going to approach it, and I mean, we we probably I can't either, but I but I believe that he would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. Fifth place All for right. AI. Fifth place AI. Fourth place Morgan. Um, s strong performances. Okay script. Perfectly watchable, um, beautifully shot, wouldn't steer anyone away, um, but at, at the end of the day, it's it was fine. Yeah. 
uh, number three, her. Um, beautifully put together. Lot, so much, so much heart. Um, so much um, to, so much to say about relationships and about just human connection and non-human connection and the the possibilities and the pitfalls of our, our increasing reliance on technology as our main way to connect um it's it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking and so i can only watch it every couple of years and so it's at number three good deal at number two robot and frank i love robot and frank <laughs> I want me it, that robot so bad. I want me, I want me a robot so much. Um, I, I may kind of be robot. There is a, there's a moment in the film where Frank convinces the robot they can do another heist if the robot okay's the plan. And uh, Eric was actually watching it with me, and I turned him to him and I went, "That is such a you thing. Like, <laughs> we can do the thing if you can convince me that it. Like, if I am convinced that it's a good idea." <laughs> If you give it the okay, then it's good. I am the robot, uh, and he is my friend. You and can that's bear okay. the responsibility when this goes sideways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I bet you I know what your number one is. And so, process of elimination, number one is ex machina. <laughs> I love, I love, like, just a, just a tight, almost, almost bottle episode of a movie. Everything, everything is so close together and so... Um, so respectful of the real science and so the, the, the interplay, the interplay of the actors, like, um, you really, you really believe that, uh, Domino Gleason could, could be falling for, for this robot. Um, and you really aren't sure what she wants out of life but you know she's gonna get it <laughs> uh and and with repeated viewings uh, oscar isaac's drunken asshole makes more and more sense and yeah yeah ex machina ex machina number one wow well we're incredibly close but no cigar that's as usual <laughs> as you well you, I, I seem to remember you winning a certain rocky episode oh, I may have won. <laughs> but I, I think that your heart might break a little bit on on, on where we we go wrong <laughs> i put ai dead last I put, oh, that AI, not I put ai dead last i mean maybe kubrick would have made that ending work maybe but I, I frankly doubt it. Maybe he would have changed it by the time he got there. Maybe Spielberg was guilty of, if anything, being too loyal to mm -hmm. Kubrick. Maybe he should have just really honestly tried to make this a Spielberg movie instead of Spielberg by way of Kubrick. But unlike Transcendence, which I put in fifth place, whereas Transcendence is almost there but not quite, I can see a few little things that we could do that would make Transcendence kind of click into place for me, whereas I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> with AI. <laughs> like, I think, like, with AI, we just need to burn all the sets. We just need to start over. We just need to start over. Uh, 
So yeah, Transcendence, I think the biggest complaint I have about it, as what I said in the review, is that it feels more like people talking about a science fiction movie than it is an actual science fiction movie. And, you know, for a two-hour epic made by a world-famous cinematographer, I think we expected <laughs> a little more juice than that. Yeah. But again, that's, that's, that's expectation going into the film. Uh, it, it's really okay more than it is awful, but uh, it should have been and wanted to be and maybe thought itself to be something much, much more. And, uh, no. <laughs> uh, Morgan is definitely guilty of thinking that it's more than it is, too. But I think it's more successful to just being a bare-bones kind of thriller, beat for beat. What's going to happen next? How's that guy going to get it? We know he's going to get it, but how? <laughs> right? Hey, there's Paul Giamatti. Hey, there's Toby Jones. Hey, there's so-and-so, right? There's a lot. Yeah. They, they throw a lot at you. It is entertaining. It'll hold your attention. And then a few days later, you'll have forgotten it. And, you know, but it, it, it's not bad. It's just a fast food meal kind of yeah. item. It's fine. It's fine. The top three I am in fucking love with. And I stressed <laughs> over it. And in the end, I thought I was going to be getting a finger wag for putting her in third place. But in the end, I put her in third place. And I think it goes back to what I said, as much as I get a, a good meal out of the movie and there's a lot to think about, and uh, I get more out of it in its own way each time, it's also kind of a bummer. It's also kind of like, there's there's a hurt to the sweetness. It's sort of, you know, uh, it stings. And that there's something genuine and very impressive about that. But that does hurt the rewatchability. It's just, it's almost so true that it hurts a little. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's a, that's a, I say that with such respect, but I will watch Robot and Frank twice before I will watch her again. <laughs> There's just something that caught me so out of left field out of this. Like I I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. And I think it also on top of it, it just hit me on the right day. Like on the wrong day, I might have mm. just like rolled my eyes and said, "This is like a Disney afternoon special. This is a little bit too sweet, <laughs> too much sugar in my coffee kind of mix." But I don't know. It caught me right in the sweet spot. It was like. I didn't get all teary because I kind of saw the old Yeller ending coming, but like I could mm -hmm. totally see if I'd saw that at a young age, that really getting to me. <laughs> no, but his robot, he loves his robot. Yeah. He needs his robot. Oh man, and then he sees the other person's robot yeah. just like his the... robot, and could it be his robot? Maybe, <sighs> just maybe. So yeah. Um, we're both big fans. We're both just gushing over it. I think, like, Ex Machina being number one, I don't think it's going to surprise everyone. Like I no. said, it is a, a new sort of bar set for sort of simultaneously intellectual and visually just satisfying sci-fi. It's mm -hmm. one of the most complete packages that we've gotten in a while. But, damn. Damn. Uh, <laughs> it's deep and it's tough in the way that Robot and Frank is sweet and, and warm. <laughs> so, like, as much as I'd love to give it to Robot and Frank, I think that in the future, Ex Machina is the movie that people will be talking about. Yeah. Um, but here's hoping that Robot and Frank is not forgotten. See, it was Transcendence that fucked us up this time, of all Crazy. things. So now I like it less. See, now it should be in last place now because right? of that, but I because didn't... I didn't know. I had no way of knowing that you were gonna put. Oh. Just, just shows you. It's all, it's all real on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No shuffling of discs afterwards. No, I, I made my list. I'm sticking to my list. <laughs> <laughs>
thank you so much for returning. Uh, oh, thank uh, you. Please send some uh, love to your husband on behalf Will of Arnar. And get the word out to the good people of Vancouver that Woo. their ears, though they may not need it, require some R&R. &R. They don't know. They don't even know. <laughs> Take care, girl. <laughs> So it was that you've come to the end of another fantabulous episode of Rank and Review. How would you rank those six movies? Was that a tough list? Were we too hard on AI or were we not hard enough on it? Um, send me your thoughts and your feedback at rankingreview at gmail.com. And if you like listening to me, I think there's a good chance that you'll like listening to the Terror Table Podcast. So seek out the Terror Table Podcast wherever you find podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ranking Review. I hope you continue to do so. And uh, this is your host, American Canadian Larry Parsons, losing his power of speech, signing off.